Good morning, Bokertov. <clears throat> Bokertov, everyone, glad to have you with us on this wonderful uh, day, the third day of Kislev. It is an Aliyah day. We are in a new Torah portion, Baruch Hashem. Wonderful, amazing Torah portion by Yitzay. This is the first Aliyah, the first reading. We have here in our Aliyah today uh, the discussion, or the beginning, I should say, of the study of Yaakov as he's making his way to go find a wife, being uh, partially fleeing his brother's wrath, and then at the same time going to find his wife. So I hope you're having a beautiful morning. Hope you're having a nice cup of coffee and all those kinds of wonderful things as we're preparing to spend a few minutes together studying the Aliyah. Blessings to all of you on this wonderful Yom Rishon. If you have an art scroll, Humash, we are on page 145, and we are looking at the book of Genesis, chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. It says, Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place which he had arranged around his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamt, and behold, a ladder was set earthward, and its top reached heavenward. And behold, angels of God were, were there ascending and descending upon it. So it says here, Bemakom Hahul, in that place. So the place that he ended up going to was Makom, which was the uh, the site of the Holy Temple, the Mount Moriah. It says here in the Ark Scroll, the place was Mount Moriah, the site where Abraham bound Isaac on the altar and where the temples would later stand. So he went to Makom. Now, uh, the text would indicate that Yaakov was kind of traveling randomly, ended up at a place randomly, didn't exactly know where he was going, and all of a sudden he realized, oh my goodness, this is, uh, this is a special place. But the fact of the matter is, is that Yaakov knew um, exactly where he was going, uh, maybe to the extent of the Kedusha, of the holiness of that place, he didn't realize. But there's a reason why he went to Mount Moriah. And as we say frequently here on Aliyah Day, these are life lessons, spiritual and material life lessons that we can learn from our forefathers in this instance. So it says the place was Moriah, the site where Abraham bound Isaac on the altar and where the temple would later stand. The sages interpret the term Vayika, which usually means encountered, to have the less common meaning phrase. So that Yaakov's primary encounter was not with a geographical location, but with God. Since the verse states that this took place just before he retired for the night, the sages credit Yaakov with instituting uh, our leave um, our, our the evening prayer. Excuse me, Mariv the evening prayer. So uh, we have here, uh, there's a lot to be said about the Mariv. Uh, the Yaakov uh, Institute, but we get the three prayer times from our forefathers. We get Shakurit from Abraham, we get Minka from Yitzhak, and we get Mariv from Yaakov. But if we look at this situation um, and what's happening here, there, I always like to point out 
the manifestation, manifestations, if you will, of Hashem. So first of all, I did a teaching a while back, and I taught, it was on Shabbat, it was during a drash, and I taught extensively about Makom being Hashem, that Makom is the place. He is the place. We often say, like I was illustrating uh, just the other day at the dinner table, that we have the universe, and Hashem stands outside of the universe. We're actually talking about the theory of relativity and time travel and speed of light and all those kinds of things, and why the speed of light, you know, uh, was, uh, uh, I just went blank on the scientist's name, uh, Einstein. Right? Einstein was talking about that if we could, in fact, travel at the speed of light, then time would stand still. If we were possible to travel beyond the speed of light, then we could actually go backward in time. And I was just talking about the fact that isn't it interesting that it all has to do with light? Because light is Torah. The, the light of the universe is the word of God, the Torah of Hashem. Which is why we went into a dark ages uh, back uh, during the Middle Ages. is because we were devoid of Torah. The, the, the quote-unquote uh, you know, religion of the day had abrogated Torah. And so it sent the entire world into a dark ages. Because there was no Israel, there was no temple. So there was nothing keeping the light. The light of the world had been snuffed out, and that's what created the dark ages because there wasn't any Torah. But that's beside the point. The fact of the matter is, I was talking about that Hashem stands outside the universe. But in reality, Hashem is the universe. The, the universe is in Him because He is the place. But if we look at this particular uh, entry, we see that Jacob had an encounter at Makom. He went to a physical location, which ends up being Mount Moriah, the mountain in which the temple, upon which the temple will be built, and upon which Mashiach will be uh, offered, and upon which Yitzhak was offered. But what he was really having an encounter with was Hashem, because Hashem is the mountain, you see. That he is, the mountain is a manifestation of Hashem, as it were. And this is not a crazy concept because the sages talk about the fact that all of creation is a manifestation of Shem. Now, this is not to get into polytheism or any other pagan idea in which the plant is God or the tree is God or the stone is God or the cloud is God. No, but they are a glove, as you, if you will, that uh, demonstrate that the, the creator exists. So when we look at, at creation, we were looking at a manifestation of Hashem, which is why the sages say that what we take for granted, we say, oh, that's just a natural phenomenon. No, it's not. Everything is Hashem. So the rain, the breeze, the cold air, the warm air, the rocks, the stone, the leaves, the bird, everything is a miracle. So we actually live in the miraculous. So therefore, when a miraculous thing happens, it's not so crazy. So we say here, in, in uh, we're looking here at uh, verse 13. And behold, Adonai was standing over him, and he said, I am Adonai, God of Abraham, your father, God of Isaac, the ground upon which you are lying to you will I give to your descendants. Now, backing up just a little bit, uh, it says here that in verse 11, that when he encountered this place, that he arranged stones around him, it says here, uh, around his head, and laid down in that place. Now, uh, very often, people look at this and they say, well, uh, what Yaakov was doing is he, he, he was taking a stone, and he was using it as a pillow. Well, um, I don't know. I've done a lot of camping 
in my life. A lot, I've done a lot of very primitive camping in my life. It used to be kind of a hobby of mine. Uh, not kind of, it was. And uh, I've never used a stone as a pillow because it's not comfortable. And so what Yaakov is doing here is he's not using a stone for a pillow. He's actually putting stones around his head. What is he doing? <clears throat> Yaakov is trying to emulate the Akidah. He is trying to emulate his father Yitzhak. He's trying to make a statement. I'm going to the exact place that my father was offered as a sacrifice where he laid his life down and I too am going to lay my life down for Hashem. And so we learn, we learn from this a very Bible lesson that we too should lay our life down and emulate Mashiach Yeshua. Our whole life, by the way, has to be about Messiah Yeshua. Everything about it. Everything about our life has to be about Messiah Yeshua. That's why we say the Lapid is an authentic Judaism. It's a real Judaism. It's an Orthodox Judaism. It's a Torah true Judaism. Whatever adjective you want to use, centered on Yeshua. The moment that we get away from that is the moment we, we fall off into trouble. So it says he took from the stones by Yikach Meyavini. Midrashically, the sages render that he took several stones. The stones began quarreling with each other. Upon me shall this righteous man rest his head. Thereupon God combined them into one stone. That is why in verse 18 it says he took the stone in a singular. So I love what it says here in the article. It says the, the, the moral lesson, or the concept rather, of the stones quarreling is understood as a moral lesson for man. For in a similar situation, Human beings would be surely, which should surely vie for the honor of serving such a great person. It is perhaps from this story that Yochanan uh, the Immerser was uh, thinking when he said to those who had come to inquire of him that uh, they should not think themselves privileged because they're sons of Abraham, but out of these stones he can bring forth sons of Abraham. Why? Because perhaps he was remembering that even the stones quarreled with themselves and said, hey, we want to be used as this uh, proverbial bedding, as it were, for uh, Yaakov. So we, too, should be uh, people who vie to serve uh, the Creator. And, he, listen, he can take anybody. He can take the righteous, and he can take stones. So it says in verse 13, And behold, the ship was standing over him, and he said, I am out of your God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the ground upon which you are lying, to you will I give it and to your descendants. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out powerfully westward, eastward, northward, southward, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring. Behold, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I said about you. So uh, this, he, have, he has a dream. He sees a ladder. Uh, and up on the ladder is the angel. Jacob's ladder. Very, very popular. We have some bow to him on this. Uh, the Gematria of ladder. So the Gematria of ladder. Sulam 136 is equal to that of Mamon. Money. And of Oni. Poverty. For it is stated regarding wealth. He lowers this one and he raises the other one. 
Sulam, ladder, the word is at the same letters as the word Semel, idol. For God showed Jacob a prophecy of his offspring worshiping idols. We have also another gematria for ladder. The gematria of Sulam with a vav is 136, is equal to that of kol, sound or voice. For the sound of the prayers of the righteous serve as a ladder upon which the angels may ascend. This is similar to the incident of the angel who is ascended into the flame of Manoah's offering. For prayer is tantamount to the altar service. Prayer is tantamount to the altar service. Therefore, whoever focuses intent upon his prayers causes the ladder to be complete with all its rungs, and they, the angels, ascend and descend upon it. So that's a very beautiful insight from Baal Toim. And it reminds me of a story I just read at the, at the Arab Shabbat. And that is that uh, there's a concept within uh, Yiddishkeit, within Judaism, that when we pray, we are acting as a conduit. Just like it says here, the ladder, the gematria, the sulam, spelled with a vav, is equal to sound or voice. So our prayer, our voice of prayer, acts as a ladder upon which the angels may ascend and descend. So this story is that I was reading was talking about a, uh, a, a Yid, a Jew who came to his Rebbe, and he said, with tears, Rebbe, my wife and I have been married for many, many years, and still no baby. And so uh, he was perplexed. He wanted to help. So he asked his, uh, he asked uh, this Rebbe to please pray for him. Or how could he, or what else could he do, right? So the Rebbe is like, okay, okay, I tell you what, listen. There is another Yid, another student of mine, who also has same problem. In fact, this happens to be my son-in-law. So you should go to him, and you should make a literal contract with him, that you should say to him, I shall pray for you that your wife should have a baby, and you should pray for me, that my wife should have a baby. And we're going to sign the uh, contract here, put our name in writing. So they did. A year later, both women have the baby. So the story is bringing down this idea from the Talmud and also relating back to this word for ladder, sulam, that when we pray for others and we have a similar need for them or, or like them, like in this case, so maybe you need healing. You find somebody you should pray for healing for. Maybe you need finances. You pray somebody finds you need finances for. In this case, a baby. It shouldn't be your sole purpose. You shouldn't go around finding somebody to pray for because you want bracha. But rather, you should pray for them sincerely with the right covenant. So the point being is that when we do that, we are naturally a conduit. In other words, when we pray for people, we are like a a conduit. The rabbi in the story used the example that it's like a spigot in a garden. The garden needs water, the spigot has the water, but how do you get the water from the spigot to the garden? You have to put a garden hose on there. So you put a garden hose on there, you turn on the water, and the, 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 uh, the garden gets the water, and everybody, everybody, all the plants and all the, everything is happy, right? But it's impossible for the water to go from the spigot to the garden and not get the water hose wet. So when we're praying for people, not just for ourselves, but we're praying for people, we 
we act as a conduit, as a garden hose, and we are getting saturated with that same blessing, which is why the sages say that when we pray for somebody, we get the blessing first. So this corresponds to that concept. I think it's a beautiful concept, something we should remember that um, if you're really needing something in your life, you should find somebody else who also needs it and commit to pray for them diligently. So another gematria, the word ladder, without the vav, is 130. It's equal to the phrase, uh, this refers to the throne of glory. So a ladder is a throne of glory. So again, our prayers are like a ladder of the throne of glory. Uh, dream has the gematria of 84, is equal to that, Zehu bin Buah. This means through prophecy. So the dream here is like a prophetic dream that uh, Yaakov is having. Lots going into this little aliyah, my friends. Lots, uh, lots to be said here. So uh, there's other symbolisms to the dream of the ladder. What does it mean? Um, as it says in the article Humash, one of the interpretations is the ladder alludes to Sinai. Since the word Sinai and Sulam both have numerical value of 130. So Sinai and Sulam, Sinai and ladder have the same gematra. The angels represent Moshe and Aaron, and God stood upon the ladder just as he stood upon Sinai to give the Torah. That's from the Midrash. Accordingly, the Torah given at Sinai and taught by sages such as Moshe and Aaron is the bridge from heaven to earth. So, um, in Judaism, the idea is that all prayers float, if you will, to the place of, of uh, Moriah, the place of the holy base of Mithras, may be rebuilt in sin in our time, amen, and they ascend to heaven from there. If you did not see the drosh or did not hear the drosh yesterday, then you need to see the drosh from yesterday, because we brought down uh, insights from, uh, from Mayam Loez talking about the Memtet, the mystical being, if you will, who's none other than Mashiach Yeshua, receives our prayers. And uh, that he's the point of contact. And Yeshua uh, said that he himself was the temple. And we know that the temple was the manifestation of Hashem on the earth. Lots of uh, stuff going on there. But one of the interpretations of the dream is that the, where you are, Yaakov, is the point of connection with heaven. It's the gate of heaven, as it were. Some, uh, another interpretation is that the latter represents the four kingdoms. Jacob was shown the guardian angels of the four kingdoms. That was... A, uh, to ascend and uh, to, to dominate Israel. Yaakov saw each angel climbing a number of rungs corresponding to the years of its dominion and then ascending and its reign ending. Babylon's angel climbed 70 rungs and went down. Media's angels, 52. Greece, 130. But the angel of Edom and Esau kept climbing indefinitely, symbolizing the current exile, which seems to be endless. Yaakov was frightened until God assured him that he would receive divine protection and eventually return to the land. So, <clears throat> let's see here. Looking at uh, verse 13, we have a uh, insights here from Rabbi Moshe. It says, And behold, Adonai was standing over him, Rashi to protect him, Ramban, who also takes the preposition Alav as referring to Yaakov and not to the latter interprets this thought more explicitly. In other words, God was not standing over the ladder. He was standing over him, over Yaakov. 
Why? Because Yaakov was laying down like his uh, father, laying down as a living sacrifice. So it says, the prophetic, prophetic dream revealed to Yaakov that all terrestrial life is governed by intermediary forces, that is the angel of God, which, after drawing their sustenance from the su supreme being, do you hear that? After drawing their substance from the supreme being, you know, Yeshua said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody freaked out because they thought he was talking about cannibalism. That's because maybe they didn't know the oral Torah. The oral Torah says that when the sages ascended Mount Sinai before the giving of the Torah, they had a big feast. And uh, they, were, they, were, they were actually looking at the Shem. They were actually literally seeing the Shem, just like Moshe. And they had a big festival, they had a big feast, a big dinner. And the sages rise and say, what were they eating? Well, they packed a lunch, right? They went down to the uh, kosher market and got kosher hamburger and fries and took it up there with them. What? No, no, that's not what happened. It says they were eating, they were literally feasting on the divine presence. And so what Messiah is, the Messiah is saying is that when you eat my flesh, drink my blood, he's talking about he's partaking of his essence. That's what he's talking about. And so it, it says here, that the angels, after drawing their sustenance from the Shem, then they descend to enrich this lower world. Yaakov and his offspring are the only ones not entrusted to the hands of these agents of the Creator. They depend on him alone. It is God himself who stands over Yaakov to protect him at all times and to save him from evil forces. For the Jewish people is the Shem's portion. Yaakov, he writes, is the measure of his inheritance. It's from Devarim 32.9. This concept mirrors the Talmudic statement in Shabbos 156a that Jewry is not subject to the blind laws of nature, of natural destiny. Ain Mazel the Israel. Excuse me. Monk writes, Ain Mazel the Israel. Jewry is under the immediate protection of the master of the universe. Jews are not subject to the natural order. That is a very important insight. We are not subject to the natural order. This is why prayer is so important. We talked about a conduit a while ago. Prayer changes the natural order. Now, this is also important because there is a uh, very popular teaching in Judaism uh, that uh, it's, it's a wrong teaching, but it is found in the Talmud, and, and it was made popular in the, really in the 1940s and 1950s. And that is the uh, the idea of the Noahites. And so you have a couple with that. This uh, The Messianic uh, comes along and says, we're Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's people who want to be Noahites. There are people who want to be Messianic Gentiles or whatever. But the problem is there's really no such thing in, in Torah. But as I've, I've, I've brought this out numerous times over the years in sources, like Rabbi Weiss mentions it and so on, very something very similar here, that this is, the, this is the deal. If you're a Jew, you're not subject to natural law. If you're not a Jew, you are. So this is a this is the thing. Rabbi Weiss says this explicitly in his commentary. That if you're a Gentile, you you operate solely in the natural natural world. If you're a Jew, you operate in the spiritual world. And so that's the reality of life, my friends, and it is something derived from this Torah portion. <clears throat> so he says, and he said, Bayomer, 
For the first time in his life, Yaakov is personally addressed by divine speech. Just as with Abraham, his first revelation takes place as he gives up a peaceful existence at home to immigrate to a strange land. This is characteristic of the destiny of the Jews. God invests the family of Abraham with a mission which is destined to be accomplished above all in exile. To be Jewish means to remain faithful to God while in the midst of the other nations. This is a very important concept for us. That our mission of fulfilling the mission of our forefather Abraham is best fulfilled in exile. So one might wonder, why are we in exile? When can we return to 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 Israel, to uh, to this wonderful place? God has us in exile for a reason, my friends. And the reason is to collect the holy spark. It's not easy, it's not fun. Whenever my wife and I go to Israel, we do not want to leave. It is like being as close as we can be to Shemayim. Everything is kosher. It's wonderful. And yet, that's not where the mission can be best accomplished. The mission can be best accomplished in the darkness of exile. That's where we can shine our light and gather in the other holy spark. Something else that's interesting here is that uh, Hashem says, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, your father. He relates back that uh, that God himself, or excuse me, that Abraham himself is Jacob's father. Now what's seemingly odd about that is that Abraham is actually Jacob's grandfather. But here Hashem is saying, he's your father. Meaning that Abraham is the father of all who have the faith of Abraham. Remember we said in the draft yesterday, we pointed out explicitly, we talked in the Aliyah last week as well, the faith of Abraham doesn't mean just you believe something, but actually you do something. Which is why Abraham is the first Jew, and which is why all Jews are sons of Abraham. Some say, well, if you're a Jewish, you're a son of uh, Yehuda. If you're a Jewish, you're a son of Jacob. By the way, my friends, you should know I mean, it's just a fact, please take this in the spirit in which it's intended, that uh, the only people who deny that, J that Abraham was the first Jew, the only people who ex emphatically state that Jew, the word Jew, is, is solely for the tribe of Judah, the only people who make that argument are Gentiles who have no Jewish background. Okay? I, I want to be emphatic about that because it's important all Jews for all time those people the sages the ones who actually know what they're talking about all of them universally agree that Abraham is the first Jew 100% very important point that we are able to articulate because it's critical to understand all kinds of things. So let's let's uh, a lot more to share on this particular portion. We'll we'll share um, more uh, glimpses of it. This a place uh, that Yaakov called Beit Elohim, the abode of God. The reason is because it's the gate of heaven. He says in verse sixteen, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Adonai is in this place, and I did not know. And he became frightened and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the abode of God, and it's it's the gate of heaven. 
He also arose early in the morning and took the stone that he placed around his head and set it up as a pillar. He poured, notice by the way, he in the first part he took stones, but now he's taking a stone. That's because the stones supernaturally melded together into a into one stone. Into the cornerstone, the foundation stone, which Rabbi Monk brings down in great detail. This was actually the foundation stone of the world, which Hashem later took and placed it into the sea. And uh, there's a whole lot he writes here. But basically what we're talking about here, the stone that he sets up and anoints, is the foundation stone from which all was created. And this is like a rebirth. This is like a renewal of covenant. We see the renewal of covenant over and over and over again in Torah. When it talks about the Brit Hadashah, it does not mean, as the Greek mind would say, a brand new covenant, because that would imply there was something wrong with the first covenant. And the fact of the matter is there was nothing wrong with the first covenant. And so a Brit Hadashah means a renewed covenant. Do not doubt me 100%, no matter what you hear. It's renewed covenant. Cannot mean brand new covenant, because that would imply that something was wrong with God. Shalom. Okay, that's not the thing. That's not the deal. So, this is why we have a renewed heavens and earth in, in the, in the uh, millennial reign, not a brand new heaven and earth. So, continued on and said he sets up a stone. This is the foundation stone he's talking about. Poured oil upon it and anointed it. Verse 19, he named that place Bethel, house of God. However, Luz was the city's name originally. Then Yagov took a vow saying, <clears throat> if God will be with me, will guard me in all his way, then I'm going will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear. I'll return in peace to my father's house, and Adonai will be a God to me. Then this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall become a house of God, and whatever you will give me, I shall repeatedly tithe to you. So we're going to conclude our time today with that statement. Again, there's so much to be drawn out of just this Aliyah. We'll get to it as the week goes on, says Rosh Hashem. But I want to point out this, because we see consistency with the, with the patriarchs. We saw that Abraham tithed. We saw that Yach, excuse me, that Yitzhak planted the crop and God blessed it a hundredfold. And the reason he blessed it a hundredfold is because Isaac's purpose was to tithe. So Yaakov is a smart man, a spiritually astute man, someone who studies in the yeshiva of Shem and Ever. And he realizes, wait a minute, there's a lot going on here about belief, about doing, following the Torah about being righteous, but something else at play. That is, that my fathers were blessed because they were committed to tithing. And so it says here that Yaakov made a commitment to be a tither also. Not only that, but he actually tithed one of his sons. He tithed, he literally tithed one of his sons. He tithed uh, Levi. And so we leave it there today to understand the critical importance of tithing, which I believe is why tithing is, is one of the things that we have to consistently encourage ourselves about, encourage each other about, because there is a very powerful spiritual component with respect to tithing. This is why the sages say it's the only one that God uh, tells us we can uh, test him with. But I want you to think about it. Abraham tithed, Isaac Tithe. And now here we have Yaakov, and he's encountered the gate of Hashem, he's encountered Makom, he's encountered this amazing place, angels, God standing over him, Hashem revealing himself to him, and in the midst of all that wonderful, amazing Kedusha, the topic of tithing comes up. 
this teaches us how important the concept of tithing is to Hashem and how important it is to us and our spiritual growth. End of our Aliyah today. I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful day. Get out there and put the Hanukkah deco up. Enjoy this beautiful weather wherever you are. And uh, let's come back together tomorrow morning at 9.30 Central Standard Time with Hashem Self and get into the second reading of the day. God bless you. Have a wonderful, magnificent, awesome time today. Love on somebody. Let your light shine. And we will see everybody tomorrow. Amen.